ahead. Let's get into the word of God. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to open up to verse 15. Now, Luke was a Greek physician, and he was a follower of Jesus. He was a contemporary of Paul the Apostle. Some would say the greatest preacher to ever live. And um, he's the greatest preacher to ever live. And so, uh, but he wrote a gospel and he got a gospel. The word gospel means good news. He, he received the story of Jesus through interviews and, uh, you know, Mary, the mother of Christ, friends of Christ, disciples of Christ. And he was a physician and his gospel narrative is the most detailed narrative. And so we're going to read Luke 22. We'll pick it up at verse 15 at the Lord's Supper. Okay, so let, let me give you a little Bible history. So it was first the Passover, and the Passover then became the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper now in the church age is what we call communion. So we're going to partake communion here in about 25 minutes, and, but we're going we're gonna to enter into the Lord's Supper right now okay and it says this here jesus said i have been very eager to eat this passover meal with you before my suffering begins for i tell you now that i won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of god okay so how many of you know that one day this world as we know it is going to come to an end like everything as we know it and christ is going to return and he's going to make all things new. The Bible says that heaven is going to come down, make all things new, and he's going to dwell with us forever. And so that's what he means here is I won't partake in this meal with you until I come back. All right. And so then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, uh, This cup is the new covenant. Someone say covenant. covenant. The word covenant means agreement. Okay, because up until this point, the nation of Israel was under Mosaic covenant, which meant that they had to live according to the law. And there were over 600 laws that they had to live according to. Within that law, there was a provision God provided a way for sins to be substituted on the day of atonement. And on the day of atonement, Something had to die. Blood had to be shed. Right, right, right. And he's saying this wine represents my blood, which is the new covenant under my blood, the new agreement between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. All right. So that, that's the Lord's Supper. So honestly, Good Friday started on Thursday night. It, it should be like Good Thursday, Friday. No. Yeah. <laughs> So we should have had a service last night and tonight. You know, the early Christians were in church every day, you know. But it started Thursday night with the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to take you on a journey from the Lord's Supper to the cross. Okay. So um, at this point, other narratives, John, Matthew, Mark, they state that Satan has entered into Judas. 
And Judas has already conspired to betray Christ. And now that he knows that Christ is going to the Mount of Olives, he's he's going to get up from dinner and he's going to go to the high priest and get the officers and the Roman guards to go and arrest Jesus in the Mount of Olives. Now, that's another thing about when Christ returns. When Christ returns, he's going to land in the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says that everyone in the world is going to see the return of Christ. So he goes to the Mount of Olives to pray in his agony. The Bible says that he's under so much stress and duress that his sweat is, um, has drops of blood. And this is what you call hemohydrosis, where you're under such stress, your, bu- your blood capillaries burst and the sweat glands begin to be filled with blood. And so a few of his disciples are praying with him. They're falling asleep. They're praying with him. They're falling asleep. And then they wake up only to see Jesus arrested. So Jesus is arrested in the Mount of Olives. After he's arrested, we should have some some photos for you popping up. After he's arrested, he is taken then from there and he's placed on trial. And he goes to the high priest's home. And they're charging him with blasphemy for claiming that he is God and he is the son of God. After this trial, the Jewish leaders can't charge him or persecute him. So they take him to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And you can see Pontius Pilate is battling in the spirit because Pilate's wife said, I just had a dream about this man. Have nothing to do with him. He's innocent. So Pilate doesn't want anything to do with him. And he says, he's not guilty in my eyes. What do you guys want me to do? He, he hasn't committed any crimes. What do you want me to do? And so at most, they have him beaten. So they, they beat the Lord. And most historians believe that they beat him with So they stripped him down to his underwear. They beat him with what we believe a cattle nine tails, which is a whip with nine sub whips with rocks and sharp objects at the middle of it. And Roman law was that the guards would beat you until they were tired. Jewish law was 39 stripes. So we don't know how many stripes he received, but what we do know is when they were finished with him, his body was broken and his blood was shed. There's a great chance that ribs were exposed. A lot of historians believe internal organs, his heart, his kidneys, his liver, um, you know, skin hanging off, just blood everywhere. So his body was broken and his blood was shed for my sins and for your sins. He suffered in that way. And then they put his robe back on him and they would have taken him to a holding place and put the crown of thorns on his head and also beat those thorns into his head. So now he's bleeding all across his face. They've spat on his face. They've pulled his hair out and they begin to mock him as being the king of the Jews. So this is your king. And so after he's beaten, Pontius Pilate presents him before the crowd again. And he says, now it is the Passover and I normally release a prisoner. Can I release Jesus unto you? And they say, no, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a very bad man. He was the equivalent of a terrorist. Barabbas actually wanted to kill Pontius Pilate. 
But they said, we don't want Christ. We want Barabbas. And they start saying, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pontius, he goes over and he washes his hands and he says, okay, do whatever you want with him. But his blood is not on my hands. And so my baby asked me before church today, just so random, Judah's always asking me about what I'm about to teach. And, and it's just God confirming the word that, that he's given us today. And he says, do you think that Pontus went to heaven? I said, I, I do believe so. He was forced by the people. And as, as people of faith, we often force God to do things that we shouldn't force God to do. And it only ends up to our detriment. So Pilate is forced to give Jesus over to them. And so he starts on the Via Della Rosa. He's carrying his cross for a couple miles. And the Bible says that he gets so tired that he falls. And the Roman guard chooses a man named Simon. He was a man of color, a black man, to help him carry his cross to Skull Hill. Another name for Skull Hill is Golgotha. And they lay him down. They nail his hands and his feet. They elevate the cross and they drop it in the ground. And Lord knows what kind of medical condition that he is in. And so that's from Thursday until 9 a.m. Friday. He hasn't, sleep, he hasn't slept. He hasn't eaten. He's been beaten for your sins and my sins. I want to pull out three big thoughts about what Good Friday offers to you and I. Can I do that? I believe, number one, his suffering offers peace. His suffering offers, it offers peace. None of us are perfect, and we all struggle. We all have struggles. Um, so my birthday was Tuesday. I had a leadership meeting Monday night. But I'm in the room playing with our eight-year-old. And you know he's getting bigger. So the, the moves that used to work on him when he was four and five doesn't work anymore. He's easily, like, dodging those moves. And so I said, I'm going to try a new move on him. Little did I know it's going to be a new move on me. <laughs> the move used to be like a backwards trip. But he's, like, jumping it now. And so I said, I'm going to trip him forward. And so I... I tripped him, he rolls, and he ends up on his feet anyway. But I'm in this vulnerable position where my leg is here and my knee. Don't, hey. You shouldn't laugh at your pastor when he's in a, it ain't a good look in church. But my knee is down and my left leg is like this, and I hop up, and I'm like, wow, I'm getting, something says, And a pain that I had never felt in my entire life hit my life. And I'm face down on the ground like, uh. And it's so worrisome that Jay walks into the room. He's like, Judah, what did you do to dad? Judah's like, I ain't did nothing to him. Go get mom. And mom's writing her, you know, your curriculum and stuff. She's like, y'all better not be playing. What's going on? Babe, what's going on? I said, babe, I can't get up. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And just trying to make sense of, like, Jesus, why would you let this happen to my back? I'm a preacher. I serve you. But, you know, we, we all struggle. 
And, and what I've come to find out about God, and this is so important to understand, guys, is God, God either prevents tough times or he provides in the middle of tough times. And so one thing to understand about communion, everybody, is he said, this is my body that is broken for you. So go ahead and write this down. He said, remember me. Remember me. And one thing that he wants you to remember is that he also suffered. Like, he, he also suffered through the same things that you suffer through. If I were to take a survey or have anyone raise their hands, are you a part of a mixed family? We have a lot of people, right? Have you ever lost a loved one? Have you ever been sick? Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever been hopeless? Have you, have you ever been anxious? Have you ever been doubtful? Jesus could raise his, raise his hands on all of that. Yes, yes. Because on the cross, he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? I think in that moment, he was fully human. Yes. He had a fully human moment where he felt as though all hope was lost. And his father had for anyone had an absent father. Like Jesus could say yes to all of that. And he was saying that when you partake of communion, you're going to do it in about 15 minutes. Remember that I went through the same things that you went through. That's good. And I totally, here it is, I totally understand what you're going through. Remember that. Because it says this here in Hebrews chapter 4. I love it. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same. Someone say same. Same. The same testings we do, yet he did not sin. See, that's the difference between Jesus and me. Is whenever I face tests, there are times where I dishonor God. So that disqualifies me to be the savior of the world and the savior of my own soul. Because I've dishonored a holy God. Jesus faced the same things that I face, yet he never sinned. So that qualifies him to be the savior of my life and of every life in this room and of every life in this world. So all the same testings that we endure, yet he did not sin. So here's the encouragement. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Here's the question. What are you suffering through right now? What are you suffering through right now? And I want to encourage you that when we take communion, it's an opportunity to pause and understand that, that when, you, when you break that bread or, or when you partake and that cracker, that bread, whatever it is we have. And that bread, it's an opportunity to, re- to realize three things. Is number one, Jesus understands. Amen. He understands. And he said, this is my body. So when you partake in it, this is number two. When you eat it and, and it goes down, he is present within you. So he understands. Wow. He is present. And within you, number three, he's giving you peace. That is communion. God understands. He's present. 
And instead of solving my problems, he's giving me an assurance of his goodness, of his mercy, of his grace in the midst of it. Because if he solved all my problems, I would be no good for anybody. But if he gives me a peace in the midst of it, I'll grow stronger, better, and wiser in the midst of my problems. Number two, his blood offers forgiveness. His blood offers forgiveness. And so about 1,400 years before the Lord's Supper, the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years, the chosen people of God. And so after nine attempts of the Lord through Moses telling Pharaoh to let my people go, Egypt means sin. So he was telling sin to let my people go. After nine attempts, the Bible says that God said, okay, I'm going to send the last plague. And the last plague was the plague of the firstborn sons. So God was going to take the souls of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And so through Moses, God instructed the children of Israel to have a meal that night, and it was called the Passover meal. And the main dish was a lamb or a baby goat without defect. So this lamb had to be perfect. All right, so they cooked the lamb, and what they did with the blood of the lamb was they took that blood and they put it on the doorposts of the house, and they put it on the door frame. Because the Lord said, whenever I come by, if I see the blood, no one dies. If I don't see the blood and you have a firstborn son, I'm going to take the soul of that son. So after they had the meal and, and he said, eat it speedily, eat it fast because I'm going to come and I'm coming quick. It said later that night, there was a scream of horror across the land of Egypt, unlike anyone had ever heard. And it was because the Egyptians were waking up in the middle of the night to dead sons. But it said the death angel touched none of the people of God's children because their homes are covered by the blood. We can celebrate that. Their homes are covered by the blood. Why is that important, Pastor? Because the Bible teaches that where there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So here's the takeaway. Someone must die in order for everyone else to live. That's how God chose to deal with our sin. Someone must die in order for everyone else to live. And so simply put, the lamb in Exodus was only a foreshadowing of the lamb that we're talking about in Luke. Jesus was the fulfillment of that lamb. Now, before his ministry started, John the Baptist, the cousin of Christ, said this about him. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And then Ephesians 1, 7, through the blood of his son, we are set free from our sins. God forgives our failures because of his overflowing kindness. Just want to encourage you tonight.
Because I've led enough people to Christ to, to know this. God is not mad at you. And he is not ashamed to be called your God. Let's just speak plainly. God know everything. He knows everything about you. He knew you before you were conceived. He knew the lie that you were going to tell. He, 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 he knew that relationship that you were going to be in. He, he knew how you were going to connive and, and do all these bad things. And let me just tell you, because Christ shed his blood on the cross, the Bible says that he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west, and he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. So whenever Christ shed his blood, God forgot everything you did in the past, and he purposefully forgets it because he loves you, and he wants a relationship with you, and he's not ashamed of you, and he's not mad at you. And he shows his love because he allowed his son to suffer for our sin. So this is the way I like to think about it. God doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of his son. Number three, his death offers salvation. His death offers salvation. Here's the reality of it, guys. Then we're going we're gonna to take communion. We're going to worship. The human race is great at a lot of things. We, we've created airplanes, space shuttles, Teslas. Um, we've created computers, shoes, clothes. We, we've done it all. We, we're great at a lot of things. But the thing that we're best at is dying. We are 100% from the field at death. I actually think this might be part one of Sunday. I'm, trying, I'm praying to the Lord, what's my message for Easter? And I think we're going to talk about this because this is so vitally important. We are 100% from the field at death. And I was on the phone with my dad a couple weeks ago because he's getting up there in age. Dad, if you're watching, I love you. Dad will be 86 in September. And I said, Dad, that will preach. I said it in my mind. I didn't say it to him. I said, but I'm still in that. Because, you know, when they get up there in age, they start talking about, you know, I'm tired and the next life, and I just, you know, I want to rest and all that. He said, son, you know what? He said, there's nothing else in this world I want. I've partied, I've done this, I've done that. There's nothing else that this world can offer me that will bring me fulfillment. He said, you know what? We make so many reservations for summer, for Christmas. Dad ain't even a preacher, but he's preaching. He said, but I wonder this, do we ever make reservations for the next life? And I'm like, ooh, let me give you a mic right now. We fail to make reservations for the next life. He said, son, because this is a fact, the closer I get to death, the more apparent it becomes that this is not my only life. And I think that God dispenses a grace on older people who he's graciously pulling into heaven just to prepare their hearts for the fact that they're not about to end, but they're about to exit and then enter a new life. So I need you to understand something. 
The end of your life is not an ending. It is an exit unto the next life. And so this is the question that I believe, and I don't want to jump. I don't want to jump. Let me take us to the cross real quick, okay? Let me take us to the cross because the Bible confirms that there is an afterlife. It confirms it. So we went from the Last Supper, and now we're on the cross. I love this story. We're going to go, and we're going to hang out with the two criminals. When we were younger, they said two thieves. We don't know if they were really thieves or criminals, but they was on the cross with Jesus. Here it is. Two others, Luke 23, both criminals were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified. One on his right and one on his left. Verse 39, let's skip down. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you. Now, you you see where that comma is? That is so important. Pick that up. Today you will be in paradise. If that comma was after today, it would just be a statement. I assure you today, you will one day. The comma is after the I tell you the truth. Because we're all going to die in a couple hours. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you catch that? What he's saying is, is this. He's saying this without saying it. That you are a triune being. You are a soul, you have a spirit, you live in a body. And when you exit this life, the spirit that God has given you will return to him, your body will drop dead, your soul will go somewhere. And he's telling this man that I'm telling you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So when your spirit goes back to the father, and your body hangs on this cross, your soul will leave your body, and I'll be waiting on you with arms wide open in paradise when you pass away. His death offers salvation. This is the most important question that you can ask yourself in this life. And the devil has jaded the world to make us think that this is the only crummy, dumb, crazy life that we can live. This world ain't got nothing on heaven, let me tell you. This world has nothing on what God has planned for you when you pass on. I was just reading the, I was just reading today in the basement. Because I'm studying for Sunday. I was just reading it, y'all. The Bible says that when they went to the tomb, I ain't even on Sunday, but I'm preaching Easter. (laughs) Calm me down, Lord. 
when, 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 when mom and, and a few of the sisters went to the tomb with the spices, the Bible says that the stone was rolled away. And I don't know why this stuck out to me so, oh, it was so good. The Bible says that there were two angels sitting on the stone that they rolled over his tomb. And I'm like, the Bible says that they were wearing dazzling robes. And I don't know why I just got excited about that. Dazzling robes. I'm like, what kind of brand is that? <laughs> that ain't nothing you can get down here. You're telling me that this world, you're telling me that all the money, all the sex, all the fame, all the popularity, all the status can equal to the goodness of God? I don't think so. I don't think it's enough. This world can't offer me nothing that God isn't going to give me a million times over in heaven. So this is the most important question. I might cancel Easter because this is it. I'm serious. This is the most important question that you can ask yourself in this life. Am I saved? Am I saved? That's it right there. And you can't be too old and you can't be too young to get this question right. Because God forbid we leave tonight and someone ends up in a car accident and they're not saved. And it ain't even your dream car. <laughs> Lord, I pray nothing happened to nobody. But I ain't even trying to make light of it. I'm just saying, don't die in your car. It ain't your dream car. It ain't funny. It's funny, but I'm just trying to make a heavy moment light. Another way you can ask it is this. Will I go to heaven when I die? It's the most important question you can ask. I assure you today you will be in paradise. Paradise is a nickname for heaven. Bring that verse back up for me, production. It says this here in Luke 23. I'm going to show you his salvation moment, okay? This thief's Luke 23. Verse. Yeah, verse 41. Here it is. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Here it is. Then he said, here's the salvation moment. Here's, here's where he placed his faith in Jesus. And here it is, guys. Here it is. This is why God brought a lot of you new guests here and, and some people who have been attending church, but you're not in a relationship with Jesus. One decision in a moment shifted everything. Watch this. Watch this. Here's the salvation moment. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He just gave his life to Christ. And so now riddle me this. Did Christ say, I need you to get down off this cross and clean your life up first and then give me your life? He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I need you to stop stealing. I need you to stop drinking. I need you to stop smoking. I need you to stop sleeping around. He said, none of that. Watch what Jesus said. Because his blood had already been shed. The new covenant was already 
that grace, that mercy, that goodness was already at work. It was, it was done. So watch what he said. I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. So I don't need you to get it right. I don't need you to know the Bible. I don't even need you to call yourself a Christian. I just wish you would get this one decision right so that I can have relationship with you and so that when I'm done using you in this world, you can be with me forever in eternity.